0: My name is Scott Burns. I'm a pastor at Cross Study Church down in the German Village area. I know your pastors here from the church. We pray together once once a month. I've really come to appreciate your church and the brothers here. So thanks for having me. I appreciate that. True to your Baptistic roots, you guys have all sat as far possible from me. So um, I mean, if that if that rope wasn't there, you know you'd be one step back. So uh, thanks for the spirit-filled ropers who uh, roped it off. Although I think you're in a rope aisle. Is that a rope in your aisle? It's okay. I still love you. You're welcome. Enjoy that rope aisle. All right. So my name is Scott. Here's the deal you just need to know. I am a sinner saved by God's grace, and I am forever thankful for that. Let me just pray and ask the Lord to bless our time, um, and then we'll get going. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you so much for bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to us and bring light to our darkness, and sending Jesus to live and die and rise again for us, to bring us to you, that we might enjoy you as our Father, we might enjoy each other as brothers and sisters, we might be able to have the joy and pleasure to be able to um, be that, and bring that news to the world around us, so please bless our time, Father, help us by your Spirit, help me as I speak, help us all as we listen, um, may we be helped by this time, in Christ's name, amen. All right, so here's where we're going, um, I'm going to talk about the guts of the gospel. How to talk about the gospel, the guts of the gospel. So this is like when you're getting down to it, how you're thinking about it. When you're getting down to brass tacks, that's where I'm at. I'm not talking a lot about how to get into it. I'm not talking about how we serve and love all the connections. I'm actually talking about the guts of the gospel and how to get there. So why do we do this? Well, um, I think it's helpful to kind of start out in 1 Thessalonians 1.11. In 1 Thessalonians 1.11, you don't have to turn there because I'll read it for you. It says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of God of the blessed God, of the blessed God, which very fairly translated is the happy God. So our story about the gospel is good news because of who God is. And God has never been the God of sadness. He's never been the God of need. He isn't like a divine middle schooler bully who creates the world to like get a bunch of people to bow to him because he has these inner needs or something like that. God, triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have existed eternally, and we're very much happy and blessed in that. And out of abundance of generosity in their heart, they make the universe to be able to share God's glory with us. And so he's the God, God who is the happy God. He's not the God of need. And he kind of frames everything that we have. And that gospel, that story of the happy God, has a lot of power. Uh, if we think back to a classic verse to memorize in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God because it is the power of God unto salvation, for everyone who believes, the Jew verse, and also to the Greek. So the gospel itself is powerful. It is the powerful tool. Now, I'm I'm, I'm having this this seminar because I've been a pastor for like, I don't know, 20-something years. I'm not sure. I'm 50, in case you're wondering. Um, I've been doing this for a long time, and once upon a time, when I lived my former life out in the desert of California, uh, we were doing gospel-centered ministry, and our pastors, we were meeting together and talking about how it's mind-blowing that how many of the issues of marital counseling and heart counseling and all these kind of discipleship conversations were always coming down to things not known about the gospel or things forgotten in the gospel. We're talking to men who are arrogant, who don't have any concept anymore of being greatly forgiven, so therefore they're arrogant. Uh, People who seem to make up their own rules and yet call themselves Christians, Uh, People who are just shuddered in guilt or self-righteousness hanging it over people. Uh, Churchless people think they can have something going on with Jesus and not have it going on with his family. So we found these things happen a lot. We're like, man, it's kind of crazy how often it comes back to the gospel. We need to be gospel-centered as we do this. And so we also found it difficult to be able to have the gospel stated simply enough that we could give it, help our people give it to somebody else, but also robust enough to say, hey, we're living this gospel-centered life together, so that gospel has got to make sense for that. Often we have constructs of the gospel that might make sense to help a person to come to know Jesus, but it would give them no clue of what to do on day two of walking with Jesus. So we say be gospel-centered, like, I don't know. There's just two cliffs and that that bridge across there, and I don't know where I go with it from there. So uh, I spent a lot of years, and I, this is the way that I share the gospel people and trade people to share the gospel as one way that would hopefully help people be able to share it with the unbeliever and the believer, both at the same table, and know where to go with it. I'm not trying to sell you in a different way how you happen to share the gospel. Maybe you have a really great way that you do it. And there are amazing great ways. The three circles. Um, two ways to live. The bridge. I wasn't, I wasn't casting shade on the bridge. I kind of do, but that's okay. Uh, the bridge. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. So you can use my way. I think it's helpful uh, a lot. I use it because I was not finding helpful ways and using those others for ongoing relationships because often my, my gospel conversations are ongoing gospel relationships, not one and dones. Or I'm saying something and saying later. There, we're re-coming back to things. We're making progress and understanding whether they wanted it or not, both with the unbeliever and then especially with the believer. I have gospel-centered relationships and we do the strangest thing in the world. Uh, what's your name, brother? Gabriel? Ah, thanks, Gabriel. Don't you hate that when all of a sudden the guy looks at you and says, okay, so, so Gabriel and I, he says, hey, I'm a Christian. I said, I'm a Christian too. Cool. It's the weirdest thing in the world. We go, okay, so you're Christian, I'm a Christian, or we're both in? All right, let's skip talking about the first 20 chapters of our life and our foundation. Let's just start on chapter 22. And all of a sudden, we start building all this common language, all this church fellowship language, but we've never looked at our roots. I don't know what he really means by the gospel, and he doesn't know what I really mean by the gospel. And then shocker, shocker, about six years later, all of a sudden, like, he's doing strange things, or I'm doing strange things. I'm like, how is that? Because he said he's a Christian, but I ever, I ever asked him what it meant to be a Christian? Have I ever asked him what he thinks the gospel is? And so I think that we have to learn our ways, gospel construct, so we can, without being mean and testing people, to talk about. What are we talking about here? And so we can say, this is a gospel life, and this is a gospel identity, and move out of there. So got to have some kind of gospel uh, gritting in your mind. And number two, not only for the unbeliever and the believer, but you're left here to make disciples. So you're helping people help other people help other people. And so I found that in my non-formulaic way and super relational way, I wasn't equipping people to equip people to equip people. And really, we want to be faithful to the gospel. So I'm not going to try to change you to use my way today. So maybe you have your spot. I would like to challenge you in some thoughts on that. Maybe enhance your way of sharing that, maybe in some way. And if not, hey, steal my way. It might be helpful to you, okay? Um, I think that when we think through that gospel concept, there should be a couple things. It should be a story that makes sense. It's progressive. Unfolding, like every good story, it starts at one spot and it moves forward in a sequence. And We don't cheat, cheat things, so... These are my icons I use to tell the story. But let me just tell it in, in super fast brevity. God, who's amazing and wonderful good and speaks to us in the Bible, makes us, makes us like him to be God-centered, be centered on his glory, but we all fallen away from him became self self-centered instead of God-centered. And we're totally spiritually dead. But then God proposes an offer that we would once again be made God-centered, but even higher now, adopted as sons and daughters with Christ would be our king and our treasure. Not just a king that we fear, but a king that we adore and love him. And if we want that, if we want him to own us, then we gotta talk about how that happens. I can't do it, you can't do it, because we're over here spiritually dead. Christ comes and does that for us. Christ lives, dies, rises again, does everything needed to forgive our sins and give us righteousness. And if we want that, we have to respond to that offer, that promise that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God says, call upon him. We say, I want that. And we say in our own language, God, this is me. I don't want to be here anymore. This is what I want. I want life with you. And he says, how's that going to get done? You're going to say, Jesus. And he goes, Jesus, and you don't know Jesus alone. So in faith, we respond to the promise of salvation. He gives us his spirit. Uh, we follow him, and one of the first steps of following him is we run to that water. Right, this a wonderful thing called baptism where we demonstrate the fact that I'm all in. The, the only thing you really need to know about me is Jesus. Jesus defines me. So baptism is this great picture of that. Boom, you come out of the water, and he leaves you on to then to live with him with this gospel identity in a life of three loves. First and, first and greatest commandment is? That's right. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, my translation, and muchness. Second commandment is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus rolls in and goes, I got a new commandment. Does anyone remember the new commandment? Love one another as I have loved you, right? So what happens is basically Jesus takes that love your neighbor and slices it in half like a piece of firewood, and now we got three loves. We got love God first, love his family, his church world, two, love his world, three, as a mission. Not like we used to love it when we are in it, but a new type of love lays our life down, brings the mission. So we now go on to forever be lovers of God, lovers of his family, and while we're breathing air on this planet, lovers of his world and mission. Someday you'll get retired from that. That's called your funeral. And then you'll always be on being a lover of God and a lover of his family. All right, so that's my brief blow through this. But I think our message has to be one that makes sense and it progresses and we don't cheat things. We don't start using words like sin back here, and we don't start talking about Jesus here. Like it needs to progress. Tell them a story that makes sense as it goes through. Number two, it should be a construct that actually allows us to re-harness every discussion back into the gospel. Like anything floating out there, you got to be able to take it and like pin it to something, right? Number three, it needs to work for believers and unbelievers. So literally, when you're hanging out fellowship with a friend, I just got done with this MC, a uh, missional community. which is what our church does too and he's talking about this mixed life of of living in fellowship in amongst the world so that literally you could be talking fellowship here between two of us and why we would do this and we do it in a way that the unbeliever would make sense of it and not just get religious and try to get their stuff together right? so it needs to make sense to the believer and unbeliever and then finally I like a way that is physically demonstrable because um, I'm a dude us guys we don't like to have progressively long moments of eye-to-eye contact with each other. It just makes us quiver. So we fidget. So I think it works for ladies too, but uh, I like to have a physical thing where I can move something on the table. I have this on a strip, but when I share this stuff here, I've actually, I actually share it in little squares, and I'm gonna teach you how to do that in a second. Uh, I've also recorded several videos of this. Um, on the back of your handout is a web address you can go to that has videos and more on this, how you can do this. But I like to fidget, and not only do I like to fidget, I can show people their, version, their versions of gospel by redoing the gospel I laid out to show them their wrong versions of gospel. It's helpful to hear it. It's even more helpful to see it. We'll see your dead carcass hanging where Jesus should be? You're like, oh, that does not belong there, right? So we can move it around. So that's what I want to accomplish in that gospel. So let me briefly walk through for you guys um, the things that I'm going to share in each of these points of the gospel. Uh, you can follow along on your, your full color sheet with these bullet points, so I want to flesh this out a little bit longer, and then you're going to do it yourself. And I'm going to go in very brief order, and I'm going to go fast. I do a training; we ask everyone in our church to go through this training at least once, hopefully up to three times, uh, while they're at our church. And the training for us lasts eight hours, and, and so I have microwaved this thing down until it's just a rubbery something, a little thing, right? So it's like shrunk down. So I'm just going to talk so fast. If you're if you're sensitive to a fast talker, I just apologize and ask you for grace and mercy. And I'm asking God's help to let you get past my mumbling and speed, but I got a lot of things to say. Okay, here we go. God, where I start with God, number one, he made the place. How he made it? Different day, different discussion. But he's the one that made the place. Number two, what does God care about? What is he most centered on? He's centered on his glory. He's the happy God. He's not the needy God. If he was the needy God who did it for his glory, he's just a big bully. But he's not the needy God, he's the happy God. And out of out of his glory he creates everything to share his glory and he is not a liar to say there's something better than him so he will always be centered on his glory and then third how does he talk to us he yeah he makes plants and bushes he makes stars go around those things testify to us romans chapter 1 general revelation but specifically he speaks to mankind by giving us the word of god it's captured between leather or faux leather depending on what you have today And God has designed his word to speak to our soul. And it is the only tool by which men and women can be saved. And it is the only tool by which they must be saved. You cannot sit and look at the stars in the sky and go, man, that's the belt of Orion. And I bet God is triune. And the second person took on flesh and became a man and lived and died and rose again. You're not gonna get that. You need only get that from understanding the message of the scriptures. So God has designed, he made the place, he can do it any way he wants. He has that right. But number two, he's effectively made it true. He communicates through his gospel. His written word, by the power of the Spirit, is the most proving element on this planet. We don't think that because we're secularists by nature. Most of us are repentant secularists, but we tend to think, like, I don't know, a petri dish is way more provable. God goes, no, 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 my word is provable. My word proves. So he gives, he speaks in the scripture. Creator, glory standard, speaks in the scripture. Then show, we show up, man. Men and women, three fast things. We're made for God's glory. We're designed to be God-centered, and we are created in God's image. We are made different than the rest of creations. That is why right. it's really wrong to kill a baby and really okay to eat a whale burger. It's the image of God. We're created in the likeness of God, and so we're created to manage the world. We're different than everything else created in his image. But then something bad happened. Notice I didn't talk about bad happening here. I'm talking about our created design. Something bad happened, the fall Um, instead of being God-centered, if you look down here, we became self-centered. And when scripture opens up on us, enemies, aliens, spiritually dead, wrath of God, naked, destitute, without hope, without God, we are children of Satan. I mean, it gets hot. You know, like when scripture starts talking about what's wrong with us, it's a hot, hot room. It's not like, ah, she's a nice lady. She's got a little problem. Like, man, the the darkness, our fallen position is incredibly, incredibly heavy, heavy, to the point of we are spiritually dead, Ephesians 2. And that's why we can't self-fix, because we are spiritually dead. The chasm is enormous between us and God. And so gospel means good news. It got really bad right here. Lights going out. But then God slides an offer across the table. That offer is this, restored to God-centered. You were made to be God-centered, became self-centered, you'd be restored to God-centered. But, but even better than that, God, and him being God's standard, he would be your, he'd be your king, he'd be your treasure. Now, let's just talk for one moment. Theologically, we could simply say it be your treasure. But because we're Westerners, we have this idea that I can love Jesus, but not obey Jesus. That's not the way Jesus works. So I think it's kind of helpful in our Western world to emphasize king and treasure, to emphasize the authority of Jesus and the love of Jesus. It is not the gospel for me to say, well, I love Jesus, but I, commit, I have my own relationship, my own rules. It eh, doesn't work. It also doesn't work saying like, well, I signed over the deed. I belong to Jesus. Kind of stinks to be there. He's got some rules I don't like. That's not, that's not that offered position. This is the position of a king that we worship, a king that we follow, and that we love, first and greatest commandment. So the offer, restored to God's standard. God will be king and treasure. Side Benny, side Benny. Heaven. Heaven is not the main benefit of salvation. God is the main benefit of salvation. Once upon a time, I had a friend named Arnie Canonez. I'm in the desert. I'm in high school playing basketball. I'm kind of built for that. And um, over a period of time, I was able to share the gospel with my friend Arnie. Arnie praised accept Jesus as a Savior. Four weeks later, we're sitting in the hallway having a discussion of like, Arnie, why aren't you obeying Jesus? Why aren't you coming to church? And he goes, why would I? I'm like, well, because you asked Jesus to save you. He goes, Yeah, I'll go to heaven when I die. Why would I want to do good things now or follow Jesus? And I'm like, I think maybe I sh- didn't tell you a couple of things. See, I was I was telling him almost like I was like, hey, you need this radio. You want this radio? This radio is awesome. And I didn't mention that the radio is in a car. And he's like, Oh, well, I want the radio, I want the ticket to heaven. And I basically wasn't explaining really what God was offering fully to him. And so we backed up and we did that some more in my high school way. God's so kind to even let me do it in my immature way, in my whatever mature way. And uh, Arnie, we think knew Jesus and then he went home to be with Jesus in a fire. So that's the offer, trying to be clear on what is God proposing. Don't talk about the payment yet. Talk about the product. It's almost like this late night um, infomercials, right? You need this shrinky-dink hose. But then never start off with like 19 dollars 19 with $47 shipping and handling. They wait for that for a little while. They bust out the shrinky-dink hose and you need the shrinky-dink hose. Look, your car can run over it. Your cats can't kill it, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so they're, they're gonna tell you the product and then once the product is clear, now let's talk about how that is purchased, okay? I would actually encourage you to do the exact same thing as you share the gospel people. Talk about what he's proposing to you language, biblical language, like reconciliation with God. And then move on to talk about the price, because most of us as Westerners often share gospel where we don't really describe. We barely describe what's wrong. We hardly describe what's being offered to us except for heaven. And then we throw out the price that Jesus has paid for it all. You get that radio out of the car, and we forgot to tell them the rest. Okay, so then we get to to, to payment. Christ is God and man. Jesus Christ has always been God, becomes a man when he comes to earth, keeps both those things eternally. What's our word for that? Extra points? Starts with an H. Boop, boop, extra points for you. Dude, I'll give you an extra booklet for that today. Hypostatic union, okay. So Jesus has always been God, becomes a man, keeps both those into eternity, and he comes and he lives perfectly, never messes up obedience dies sacrificially as an innocent one, and then rises, raises in victory. And in some great sense, earns himself two bags on his belt. One is forgiveness, and one is righteousness. Forgive and give. And so there's this moment in the account of a person in heaven where the book is open on somebody's life. I'm gonna pick up someone new. Oh, oh, oh. I'm gonna, I did this site already twice. I'm gonna pick up someone new. Brother, what's your name? Steve, Okay. Steve and I are lifelong friends now. Uh, the book is open on Steve's account, and what happens is there's two sides of it. There's righteousness and sin, and, and Steve, like me, when he opened it up, there's no righteousness. There's some nice things, you know, we gave away our kidney, pushed out a kid out of the road, we did all kinds of nice stuff like that. But there's no righteousness there. And then there's sin, and it's chuck full. It's just chuck full. And his looks a little different than mine. It's as it a matter of fact, just sin, right? Well, when Jesus does His work, out of this bag here, of forgiveness. His work on the cross, boom, that side is wiped clean. Zero. Zero sin now because Christ's forgiveness counts in there. But now we got that righteousness side and it's empty, though he's been nice. And does God say, All right, well, now, Steve, I'm going to clean you up and give you a chance for you to try to fill up the righteous side? No, he doesn't. Jesus says, I got that covered too. Out of this bag of perfect righteousness pulled off of 33 and a half years of perfect obedience, he pulls out his righteousness and fills it fills Steve's righteousness. And so he's perfected in the eyes of God judiciously by forgiveness and righteousness being given to him. He does it all. He doesn't restart Steve and let Steve try to be his own little savior again. He does it all. Uh, Another analogy I use sometimes, U-Haul truck. Steve's U-Haul, I'll leave Steve alone. Thanks, brother. Um, What's your name? Caleb. Caleb's heart is like a U-Haul truck, full of manure, stanky. Um, and it needs to be a U-Haul truck full of gold. Well, what God does is God takes that U-Haul truck, puts it on an incline, sh- hoses it out by the work of Jesus, right? Forgives it, right? But now we got an empty U-Haul truck. Well, then God, what He does is He tips it up on its bumper and pours molten gold in the back, all the way up the high. Knees it a couple times, gets the bubbles out, and it is full, right? Lays it back down, and it is so full of gold that Caleb could never come in and ever squeeze a little sliver of his own righteousness in it. There's no space for it. In the same way, our righteousness before the Father is so wiped out by the blood of Jesus and filled by the righteousness Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our perfecter. We don't add to that. So we need to make sure the payment is really clear in what he did. So he is God and man. He forgives completely. He makes us righteous completely. And then finally, this work is not automatically applied to the entire planet, but instead we respond. Why do we use the word respond? It's a, The term response is an old theological term because we are responding to his initiated promise. This is not us going, hey, so I've been watching you, God. I figured all this out. Would you please, please, please give me some of that? This is God coming to us, offering us a promise. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we are placing our hope on his promise. We are responding to what he is initiated in. It's called faith. So in by faith, we put our faith in the promise of Jesus. He immediately puts his spirit in us. Um when we come to know him, we seek then the waters of baptism. Why do I why do I mention that? Because it's something that happens very early in the Bible for everyone that comes to know Jesus. Um, there are a couple of funny things in scriptures that you can find right next to Bigfoot's. Unbaptized Christians. And churchless Christians are right next to Bigfoots and unicorns in the New Testament. They're in the same section, which is somewhere on the outside of the cover. They don't exist, right? Every Christian in the New Testament is baptized, every last one of them. And so it's actually something God gives us to do very early in our faith, and it really helps us. It's very powerful. Um, in our church, we've seen so many people, like, really flee the whole scene as soon as they get baptized because they've, they've been with us for a while. They say they put their faith in Jesus. And it's not real, evidently, often. And they get baptized in front of everybody, and like, they're gone. Even after we've known them for a couple of years. There's just something very weighty about being baptized in front of God's people. It's a beautiful, powerful thing for us to testify that before the Father and for his people and the world. I encourage people towards it. I mention it in the gospel because it's not a natural its not a natural thing we run into, right? If you want to think about it, if, you're, if you've been involved in sharing the gospel with people or something like that, unless you happen to be reading the same passage that talks about baptism, it's just not a natural thing. Well, of course, automatically I should get baptized. So it's kind of something out of the way. I think this helps to talk about it, think about it in the beginning and helps them think about the real weight of following Jesus. So you put your faith in Jesus, you become saved. He puts the spirit into you right away. We, We baptize you in the waters of baptism. And then you go on to live three loves. You love God, you love his family, you love his world. And I think it's very important to help people understand this new life he gives us, which is to love him first, love his family, and love his world. I'll tell you more about that in a second. All right, at this time, I have a craft project for you. Please pull out your piece of paper. You are going to share the gospel in little pieces with the people next to you, okay? Um, but it's going to be so fast. It's, I mean, lightning fast. It's so fast you can't even get embarrassed. Now watch how I fold this. I'm going to teach you how to fold a piece of paper. Take the end here. Fold it flat. Why am I teaching this? Because this is what happens at restaurants when the Lord opens up conversations or across coffee shops or wherever I'm at. I want to be able to physically show something, and I'm going to help you draw those little drawings I have on the front of the sheet. So you got the end torn like this, right? Now with a real fancy hand, you tear along that fold. You recycle the rest of the piece of paper. Just kidding. Okay. And then you fold that piece of paper in half like this, like a really tiny taco, like a Taco Tuesday taco, right? Got that folded in half. Now I've got an open end, and I've got a close end. Just, just nibble off that close end with your fingers, not your mouth, that'd be gross. Okay, now I got two pieces of paper, right? And I'm just gonna simply say, rip those two together two times, and with that, ladies and gentlemen, you have in your hand six about the same size pieces of paper on which you're gonna draw six things. All right, so here's what I wanna have you draw. You're gonna look at a person next to you. I'm gonna have you draw these items down here. But I'm gonna show you how I draw them in case my art on the paper is not daunting enough. I'm gonna have you draw it and I'm gonna have you tell the person next to you two or three of the things on that sheet that you thought were most interesting. You only have 20 seconds to do this about that category. So here's what I do. When I go to the God category, I'm gonna call you guys person one and person two. The person on this side is person one, Person on this side is person 2 I'm going to make that up. Except for you, brother. I don't know who you're going to share with. Spin around or something like that. All right. All right, first step. Ready? Get the category of God. I do this thing right here. That is a Greek letter, theta. The first first letter for the word God in Greek. So person number one, draw it right now, and you have 20 seconds to share two things about the God category that you think are most striking. You're sharing that with person number two audibly, out of your mouth, as you draw on a piece of paper. Would you mind moving on to him? He needs a he needs a buddy. Does anybody else need a buddy? Ten more seconds. Then you're gonna switch. I told you it's fast. Okay, person number two, go. Person one is done. Person two, now you get to draw it and tell them two things that you thought were interesting about the God category. Wait a second, bro. You don't have a person paired up with you. Oh, my goodness. Ten more seconds. It's speed round, folks. We only got time. Sorry. All right, up here, now we're gonna go to number two. Everyone kind of get what we're doing? Number two, I've been drawing man. Here's Scott Burns' fancy way of drawing a man. Circle, triangle underneath it, arms across, that's a human. First person, you're up first, go, you have 30 seconds to draw and talk about the most significant things about man. Person one, you got ten seconds left. All right, person two, you're up. All right, back up here. So now you're in part number three, which is the fall. This is really easy. X, X, ugh, dead face. Person number one, you're up first again, 30 seconds. Five more seconds. Switch. Person number two. All right, back up here. Now you're moving over to offer. This is a little more complex, but it's not too bad. I do a little three little mountains. Boop boop boop. Coming down here, little donut hole there. That is my crown and my and my crown and my ring. Person number 2 up first. Go for it. Five seconds. Switch it over. got five seconds. All right, looking back up here, now we get to the payment. This one's hard. This one's hard. Ready for it? Person number two up first. It's the payment. It's a cross. You can do it. Five seconds. Switch. Five seconds. All right, looking at people one last time. This is how I draw the response. It is like a U-turn. Whoop, put a little arrow there, and I put a little thing here across here for water. Person number two, you're up first. Go for it. switch 5 seconds All right so Two things, I'd like to remind you, we are talking the guts of the gospel. We're talking framework. We're talking like, um, I'm increasingly a gospel-centered person. There's nothing in life I can think about without really qu- quite fast hitting the gospel. I just find I can only go so deep, then all of a sudden, like, I just gotta, I gotta explain for you where I'm at, if I'm talking to a non-Christian, especially, or even a Christian. So I need a framework where I can look everything to the gospel. So it's a principle in the back of your sheet, you'll see called going in then under. When people ask me questions, It's that authentic way I share the gospel quite often with people, like, why would I say no on issue one with the abortion thing? I'm like, that's a great question. Let me kind of set this out first, right? Basically, I share the gospel with them out, and then I hit the abortion issue of the gospel, right? I go in the gospel, then out, Um, because that happens more and more as I truly think a gospel-centered world. So I'm teaching you guys a grid of depth, now, in all reality, sometimes the conversation is so small, and their interest is so itty-bitty, or they're young. Sometimes, here's, I just want to share maybe a way that is a fast fast way, an alteration to share this. God describes us as being, like, totally broken, totally separated away from him. You know, here comes the cross now, the the cavern. And this new life that he offers us is this new life where Christ would be both our treasure and our king. He's the truly good one. We'd be up underneath him. And if we want that, there's a little problem. We can't cross it. And that's where we understand what Christ has done for us. Christ, I can make him a little boat, he brings us to this new life he gives us. So I can kind of do it in that way using the same thing. I'm using the center three pieces. And that may be, but that's for a moment. I think it's honestly only got to be for a moment. Because I think we do need to find everything starting in who God is, Um. If we share the gospel in this way, a lot of times what happens is that people have never really thought the gospel isn't about them. It's about God helping me out of my problem. I'm being, being transitioned by the work of Jesus. But there's not a radical redefinition of God, even though there should be. So I might use that for a moment. But then, if there's going to be a little more air in this relationship in this conversation, I want to lay out this stuff here. Okay, so that's gonna be a moment where I can do that sometimes it's all I have is a moment or really that person's only giving me a moment but if the person didn't give me a little more I say hey just hang with me let me explain it. Alter to this make it, make it make true but let it make sense how you share it. Let it be a representation of your mind so, you can, so people can actually know what you're talking about so they're not making a mess of things. So um, while I think this is okay for a moment I have to move them to this and here's the reasons why I want to go a layer deeper on some of my thoughts on some of these. Okay? We'll have some question and answer at the end of the time and you can Tell me where I need to help you out. Okay, so number one, when it comes to who God is, a couple things I'm really watching out for is I'm watching out for people that think of an idolatrous God, a God who loves people more than he loves himself, a God who's focused on people more than himself. So I'm watching out for that. I'm also watching out for people who are thinking like, well, you can say whatever you can't want to say about God, but no, we're going to lay out the fact that actually God has spoken about himself, spoken authoritatively and even told us where he spoke. So I'm on guard for those. Bonus feature, I wouldn't talk about the Trinity in the initial times, okay? Um, It's so confusing that we cannot get through the rest of the story. So they will say, what about that Trinity thing? I say, hey, give me a moment. Let me explain this out. Then I come back and I can unpack the Trinity. When it comes to mankind, I think this is super important right now because we have all kinds of people who are excited about grinding up babies, who carry the image of God. You should not kill babies. You can eat everything else on the planet. We are created differently than everything else on the planet. Likewise, you guys at school know all this talk about mental health and all the, all the crisis of suicide. People need to know they have intrinsic worth. They're not an accident. They're not like a reptile. They're not like a piece of gum. They matter. Even if they don't know Jesus, they really, really matter. And so for us to have a space for that without helping them think that everything's cool between them and Jesus when it's not. So when it comes to uh, mankind, I want to help them understand that mankind has a, has a design on purpose, has unique worth third, when it comes to fall, uh, things that I'm highlighting there is uh, most people have a view of the fall of the naughties. We're good people, nice people, mostly there. I've just done a few too many naughty things. or not as naughty as her. The naughty is a wrong view. We are, the problem is not what we've done. The problem is who we are. We've done the things we've done because of who we are. We're enemies of the Lord. So we got to get down to that deep problem, not your smoking habit, your swearing habit, your sleeping around habit, the deeper thing that brings roots of all that. Man, I'm just telling you, that is so liberating because my friends, my brothers and sisters in this room, this is all Scott Burns ever, ever, ever brought to the table, is the need. That's all I brought to the table. Because of that, and Jesus has forgiven me, I can just be honest. If I can be honest with him, I can be honest with you. And I can talk to you about anything under the sun and everything you've ever done because you and I are the same. We may flesh it out in little different ways, but we're just people that were rotten at the core, running away from the Lord, right? So I think there's amazing liberty in talking about the fall. I don't find it intimidating the least bit to talk about it because we all have the news and we see its effects. Okay. Uh, and then finally, the thing here that I usually don't talk about in a moment, I believe in, I believe in a literal Adam and Eve with all my heart, but I usually don't mention Adam and Eve here. I talk about them, them being fallen away from the Lord. Why? Because it really violates our Western sense of judgment some theological categories, Pastor Andrew will explain all of that in case it's confusing. But in my first passages, I usually don't mention Adam and Eve right here because they are culpable for their actions. Yes, we are cursed in Adam, but we are culpable for our actions. And when they hear that, wait, I'm cursed because my great, 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 great to the 40th degree granddaddy did something in the garden, that doesn't seem fair. I know it doesn't seem fair. It's a confusing thing for the moment. They want to ask about Adam and Eve. I say, hold on a second, let me explain this out, and then I come back and address Adam and Eve. So I usually don't talk about Adam and Eve right here, though I believe it with all my heart. But when it comes to the offer, um, the, the errors that we're often hearing are the salvation is primarily for me type of view of salvation. It's just about me having a better future, hope when I die, maybe have my best life now. Maybe I want riches, maybe I want healing, I want my relationships, people to like me. So a lot of times we think that God's in the business of just kind of making things better for you now or giving you that sweet golden ticket so you can act like a wild pig all your life and then like be brought across the shores of heaven and let out of the boat of a wild pig to roam across heaven, rooting through all of eternity and paradise. But that's not what God is inviting us to do. He's not like taking us as a savage animal to release us back into heaven as savage animals. Like he's changing us, transforming us. He's making us, he's bringing goodness to us and showing us life and everything like that. So we have that happening a lot of times in our perspectives here that salvation is primarily for me a simple heaven and not hell option. And you guys hear it all the time, even in the church, where God is not the authority or God is not the center of our lives. God is the authority and God is the center of our lives. In payment category, um, oh man, don't we know this? In the church, don't we recognize this so often? People are like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but like, they're not going to say it this way, but like, I call the shots. Like, I'm on, I'm on Team Jesus, but you, you just smell the smoke coming off their life. Like, that is not, we're not talking the right thing, because they don't understand what's offered. Likewise, in churches, especially conservative churches, like I might guess, this lofty institution might be here, um, we sometimes, because we're so used to people not really being serious about the Lord while they say they're Christians, we really hunker down. I did this. Hunker down on it. your message, your gospel message is, but are you serious? but are you serious? And then we kind of walk away from it. But the gospel message is not just, are you serious? Like, do you, have you rested in Jesus? Jesus is the one who does this for us. And so a lot of times in our churches, we're characterized by like dominance, maybe self-righteousness, like who do you disciple? I disciple you. You're a pecking order or you're covered in shame or you're covered in self-righteousness looking down at people. And that comes from us not understanding who did the paying here. Who started it? Who keeps it? Christ started it. Christ keeps it. And so we want to always push back there. You remember the uh, the Lord's Supper? That is all payment. That's all payment. Time and time again, it's Jesus reminding you, who did the deed? Who did this? Who did this? Who did this? To focus on that. And when we don't focus on that, we'll breed a culture of shame and arrogance. So we commonly see these things, and a lot of times even we think um, common errors we hit are this divine restart thing. Like I use it with my brother here, we think that we ask Jesus to save us, and Jesus you hear it in language sometimes. Well, God saved me, and then he gave me a chance to really, gave me a chance to do it all over again. Like, oh, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Does that mean you being the savior of your life to do it all over? Because that's not going to work again. So Jesus does not give us the divine restart. Jesus perfects us judicially. Um, yeah, the Jesus is just my friend. The cross does not bring complete forgiveness. The cross only forgives, but then allows us to complete our righteousness. So we see a lot of that. In there. finally, in the response category, I have things in there that I think are helpful because we want to help them understand it's not about simply knowing the right stuff. It's about putting your faith in Jesus Christ, clearly, on, on the things that he has proposed. And then we then think, often, sometimes, well, the gospel is this incantation, you say. And then that's it. You're done with it. You crumple it up and throw it away. But no, the gospel is everything to us. Man, this is our story. This is where we came from. And it's actually the centerpiece out of which we understand everything is the context of all the scriptures. So, The gospel is not a walk away when we're done. And then finally, we see the church, people really wrestling with missionless, living, you think you can know Jesus, but not be on his mission, the thing that he's still giving you breath for. Until you die, you're a missionary. You might be a baker, you might be a mom, you might be a student, but you are that. That's your cover for you as a missionary. God will retire you from that someday. That's called your funeral. At that point in time, you walk with Jesus and you love his people. And you always walk with Jesus and love his people. The other thing that's very significant um, is I think a lot of us who've been discipling people for a long time recognize the weight of people that interact with Jesus or come to think they know Jesus or maybe do know Jesus, but they're isolated from God's family. I want to set people up from the very beginning that what is God inviting you to? That reconciliation is he's inviting you to be adopted as a beloved daughter and as a beloved son, and you're not the only one. It's not like a dog pound in heaven where he's got you as like this adopted beautiful daughter that gets her own room and just gets to do like by herself right he brings you into his family think of the Lord's prayer first words of the Lord's prayer our father which in Greek literally is father of ours right so he's saying hey what's the deal I'm the father you're my sons and daughters the Luke 11 version just pouring it out like look at the white hot fatherly love he has for us like he brings us into his family Change person in the trinity to jesus what are we to jesus we're his bride but so often in american individualistic christianity as the brother of you talked about we think we can go to jesus and have just jesus and not his people jesus does not separate himself from his people he loves us dearly so you can't come to the family of god the family of jesus and like say hey send jesus out I want to, I want to, I want to go on a date with Jesus. I don't want to be with all the rest of the family. I want to have special time with Jesus, and I want to touch all the rest of you. You can't separate Jesus from his family. You get Jesus, you get his family, you get in his family. If you don't want Jesus' family, you don't want Jesus. Jesus loves his bride. The Father loves his children tremendously. So from the get-go, we want to help them understand you love God, yes, but the God you love, he has a family, and it's no less than a family. And if you're going to love him, you're going to love his family. I've got four kids. I love them to death, 23, 21. Today, 18, 16. Uh, we're not going to go very far if you say you want to really like me and have a relationship with me and despise my kids. And my love for them is nothing like the father's hot love for his kids. So I want to lay that foundation from the beginning that we have um, a relationship with each other because of the gospel, because of our family connection. So, with that said, um, let me open it up for a moment of questions and answers, questions or answers, because I talked fast, I said a lot of things, and some things can sound confusing, and sometimes I say wrong things. Go for it, you first, then I'll go you the you. Yes. Oh no, I draw it. I drew. I draw it, and um, if you if on the back side of that sheet is a, is a web address. I have videos on there of how I actually do it. I'm using my workbench in my garage, but I. I rip up those. Pieces. I always do. I always do papers, because it helps the conversation go better, and I can redraw. I can redraw people's heresy with pieces of paper. Um, so, for instance, for instance, this right here. These are all six independent, right? Usually, when I'm laying them down one time. Boom, boom. And and when I do that, I usually am laying them down. Um, I'm just going to put X's where I put them, but I'm usually starting with God up here. Then I put man here. I put fall here, down low like this, right? And then I put the offer card a little bit higher than the man card was because in a reconciliation of crisis, not just like garden variety, it's better than the garden, right? So I put the offer a little higher, and then I put the payment right after it, and then I put response over here because um, because I ask people a question. I play games. I'm weird. I want to know what they really think their worth is. Um, And I know that in Christianity, people, if I say, hey, do you believe this? People will usually give me an honest answer to these questions. So I often lay this out, okay? Uh, And here's an encouragement for you. Find a way to lay out your gospel pieces because people mean all kinds of stuff. Um, If, uh, what's your name, ma'am? Oksana, okay. So let's say Oksana uh, gets picked by Elon Musk and slapped into a spacesuit, and she's shot to the moon, and she's bouncing around on the back side of the moon on a mission, okay? And she's hanging out back there, and then all of a sudden, she runs into me, like, and what's not gonna happen is her going like, oh, that's, hi, Scott. She's gonna go like, what are you doing here? I shot up here in a rocket and a suit and everything like that. It's an amazing thing that I'm on the back side of the moon, but it's also an amazing thing, how did you get here? Like, why are you not dying? Like, what's, what's keeping you alive? We're gonna be very... we're going to be shocked and amazed and excitement about asking, how did we actually get here? And the details of that. We're not just going to say, hey, so what kind of cake do you like, Oksana? Like, we're going to actually talk about the miraculousness of it and the mission we're there. I think in the same way, in fellowship, especially in fellowship, much less evangelism, we have to find a way to lay out our gospel, our way, not so we can test somebody with meanness, like, are you real? Because, so here's two things we do. We go, he says he's a Christian, I go, oh, sweet. That's goody, goody, goody. Let's build on it. And then we build a horrible foundation. Or he says, I'm a Christian. And because I've been burned 4,000 times, I'm like, but are you really a Christian? What podcast do you listen to? What church do you go to? Right? And there's just like this folded arm in our heart with like a snarled lip. And they feel it. So I need to find a way to ask the gospel in a way that's not, that. It's actually a hope. Like, what are you doing on the backside of the moon? How'd you get here? Like, let's talk about this amazing story. But let's find a way that we can lay it out so we can reference, either their way or your way. I'm just telling you, most people you talk to, they won't have their way. So you can have a way to say, hey, this is the way I think about it. What do you think about it? Do you have a way to share it? I lay that out in that way so that I can reference everything in the gospel. And likewise, when I'm sitting down in conversations with people, when I lay this out, I ask people often, after I've laid it all out, I'll say, hey, what do you think about this? Do Do you see it the same way? And oftentimes people will say yes, even though they may not know the details of that. Like, they'll say, yeah, and I've locked them into God being the creator. I've locked them into God speaking in scripture. So, but now we can use scripture for one another. And I've locked us into mutual hum- humility because we're both dirtbags that have been saved by God's grace, right? So, we've locked in humility at this point. I then go on to ask this. If they say they're a Christian, do you believe that you belong to the Lord, like Christ is the king over all things? Or, like, is he kind of advisor? Does he own all of you? And people will a lot of times give you an honest, honest answer. that. Like, ah, mostly, And the reason I do that is because if they say mostly, I'm like, but until you actually, unless that's true of you, none of that else applies to you. Jesus didn't come to play Frisbee. He came to reconcile us to God. So we might be talking about a little something different here, right? But they'll give me an honest answer about this. This one here, no one will give you an honest answer for, because I want to know what's their worth before God. And if I say, do you trust Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to be all your righteousness and forgiveness, everyone with a remote, a remote affiliation with Christianity goes, yeah, totally. But and you're like, you know what? I just don't think there really no one I'm asking. So I ask an old trap question. I tell him it's an old trap question. I stole it from uh, the evangelism explosion. I kind of twist it down. I just say, okay, bus. You and I walk out of here and the bus comes through, <laughs> nails us. And also you wash up on the shore of heaven and there's a big wall at the gate and God's standing on top of the wall and he says, hey, Oxon, am I going to let you in here? What are you going to say? And they're going to say, yes, no, maybe, all right, with some kind of certainty, and then they're going to give you one of three answers every single time. They're going to say, me alone, I did something, I am not something, I, 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 or Jesus alone, like Jesus is my savior, he lived and died rose from me, I asked Jesus to my heart, something Jesus alone, or the combo, Jesus and I. Um, I asked Jesus into my heart, and that killer, that killer conjunction, ladies and gentlemen, know your grammar, and I did this, I went here, I tried this, and it's the Jesus and I thing. One of three answers will come out of that. And so what, the reason I do draw it out every time is so that I can, and I can't do this because it's static here, I will then say, hey, remember when I asked you the trap question, or like, what's your worth? You said, because I tried, I said, that would be probably where you take this fall thing here and you move it over the payment. The fallen man is the savior. But do you think that's right? right? So I'm actually kind of physically showing this, right? Or when they say, Jesus and I, one version of that, I'll take this and kind of put halfway over here. So I'm like, so it's probably the way you described it is that a combination of Jesus and you is going to be the Savior. It just gives us a very specific point to talk about what it means to really trust in Christ. And if they don't want to yield to Christ, then we can actually just wipe off all the rest of it and kind of leave them there at the fallen point. Not to be mean, but just for the point of clarity, gentleness. Um, there's a this guy out in Cedarville. I know really great good friend of mine. I knew him back when he was middle school, and we took a walk one day, and I and I we're talking about his walk with Jesus. I said, "All right, so let me explain this to you." Um, obviously, he and I knew each other well enough that I could see his fallen, <laughs> and I read the Bible, and I said, "Does Jesus own all of you?" He goes, "I'm a Christian." I said, "Jesus own all of you?" He goes, "Well, I don't know if that's true." I said, "Okay," and then that's a timeout. Like the, whatever else you're saying, it's got no weight really if you're not if you're not going to belong to Jesus. Good conversation. A uh, year later, we're taking a walk again. Schiller Park, my area here. And he goes, hey, Mr. Burns, I think it's, I, I really am serious about following, uh, following the Lord now. I said, that's great. I said, okay, let me then ask you about this, right? I, I don't want to just go, oh, great. You want to follow him now and assume? I want to go like, but are you actually thinking Christian? Are thinking gospel? This category here is particularly what makes us think Christian. And so I said, I gave him the trap question. He's like, well, uh, and I've tried this and this. I said, all right. Maybe you don't mean this or whatever, but here's how you answered that. And uh, he's like, I'm going to think about that. You know, we talked to him later. He's like, I'm in. I trust Jesus. I don't think he came to know Jesus at the moment, but we're just walking through gospel clarity in his life where he goes, I'm going to belong to Jesus by Jesus. Think about this in terms of this. Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Um, So there's only two places to live in this. You're going to live here or you're going to live here. There's no such thing as actually being here or here along the way. But these are sequences of thoughts. Do we understand the product that's being offered to us? And then do we want the price? No sense in really haggling about the price, which is Jesus, when we don't want the product of what's being offered to us. But it it helps not at all to talk about the product without talking about the price because they can't have it if they don't know the work of Jesus. So yes, I draw it out every time, and I move it around on pieces of paper, and it gives us something to fidget with, and it gives us categories, and... And I find actually conversations go longer because people take my fidget papers and they're like, ooh, this and I twist it, whatever, and they're like, well, this kind of makes me think this way, and we just can go down to deeper conversations. yo, uh, your question. All right. I was if you a relationship over time, you always come back to points in every conversation, or you, you play this round work and then you can... For a while. For a while. So the pastor I work with, we don't do this every time, but we always come back to our gospel identity this part this part here is particularly gospel identity always remembering who you are in christ i belong i was, never was a good man i fully belong to jesus he's the center and it's by the work of jesus so he and i andrew in our office we don't go back to that all the time but we reference that identity like this week he called me out on or i called him out on it like kind of moving past our identity a little bit so i want to remind identity and then forward but i say in disciple making and fellowship don't don't be shy to go back to your roots always go back to your roots and use whatever you can to make those roots clear what was your question yeah. it's good it's easy it's payment I think I think the work of Jesus is where the the Lord has to bring the light of the glory of God in Christ so our eyes fully really open. Most of the rest of it is economic. That fall part, man, if, you've, if you have a smart device, you're kind of sold on it already. Like, like, we all know how, I mean, look at what happened in Israel last night. I mean, just brutal. So I just find that particularly the payment part. Um, this, this is almost like an economic principle, right? But really what it means to, like, give up on yourself and rest in Jesus and find your hope completely in him, and him to operating on behalf i think that's the hardest one to understand most often Other, yes yeah yeah uh you know there's a there's a um a, on that back of that piece of paper is a, is a website there's a contact form you could throw your name in there and we could keep you up to date it would be open yeah um yes it'd be open Yeah. Because we do different things, we take a much slower time for you to get your own wording. We throw out things at you and you have to kind of pin where those errors are parts of this and how you'd address it, all kinds of fun little games we play along the way. Um, I have two minutes left. Is there any last question? Yes? Okay. Mm, Brother, can I handle that one afterwards? That's a great question. Come talk to me afterwards. I'm not saying it's a good answer, but I'm going to talk to you afterwards. Thank you. Any other questions? All right, let me just finish out with this. Um, on the back sheet of your paper are five principles. Let me read them to the, the titles because I, I, there's, some, there's some thinking that goes into why you share the gospel. Number one, they will smell what's on your breath. If you don't think the gospel is good yourself, they will figure that out. They're just gonna think that you're reluctantly sharing what's right, not that you think it's that good. They will figure that out. So you wanna, this brings us back to our worship, delighting in Christ. They'll smell what's on your breath. Number two, uh, prepare and hope not from fear. Most Christian education is done by people to ward off if someone asks them a question that they don't know what to do. What do I say to Jehovah's Witness? Don't prepare out of fear. Prepare like a baker. A baker puts stuff together and like squats down in front of the oven and waits for it to rise, man. You're you're looking for good stuff. Like, be fishers of men. Like, let the Lord do this stuff. Prepare and hope, not in self-defense. That's dumb. Okay, third, in and under, I covered that. Fourth, Gospel Batman, apologetic Robin. Okay, here's the deal general revelation Romans chapter 1 uh, we are people here we're not from Muslim country we are secularists we were all born secularists because of our culture we think that as secularists in our secularistic religion we think that the thing that's most dependable is empirical proof or logic that's what's most dependable that's when Christians deconstruct they go back to their secularistic epistemology, and they use those of the rules you can touch it or logically make sense that's how you know God says something totally different and that's actually how he won every one of you and everyone you'll ever know that's actually Christian. He spoke into their word, he brought the gospel to them, and that is what won them. He may have used backup things out of Petri dishes and logic and those kind of things, but it's even, so many of us, we meet someone like, oh man, if I can only have them listen to this person's talk on this, if they could talk to this fancy person, what's the deal? The power is in the gospel of God. The power is there. As a young person, as an old person there. So gospel Batman, apologetics Robin lean on Batman, use Robin. God uses the Robin as well. So don't run away from apologetics. Just use the gospel way more than you use apologetics. Uh, fourth, fifth, confusing God's job in mind. My friends, you will never save a soul. You'll never save a soul. God saves souls. This is a beautiful thing where God orchestrates bringing you to God, the gospel truth and brings you before a person that he's brought and then he, by his spirit, allows you to share the gospel and then his spirit does something with that. The problem isn't primarily mental. The problem is primarily spiritual. It involves the mental. But God saves souls. You don't. And you can't take it on your shoulders. The, per- the reason a person who walks away doesn't believe Jesus isn't because you didn't do your job right. God saves. You don't. Don't confuse the jobs. All right? My last things for you guys is I would encourage you to, um, on this, on this uh, staple sheet here, go home. Pick your bullet points that you feel it would share that got to be biblical, but it would be in your own language, and write out one sentence for each element of this so you can have the gospel in your own words. Assignment number two, go home and find a big gospel passage. I'm not saying a verse. I mean a hunk, like Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, that you can then give to a person, Christian or not, and say, hey, read this. Or we can read this together because it's got context all around it. Like, they, they can't accuse you of, like, legoing stuff together because they got to read it, right? So, There's like five or six of really easy ones in the New Testament, so find yourself a nice, big, fatty gospel passage, okay? Third level, get a few verses from the back of this for each one of these points so you can kind of bolster that, okay? So that's your homework. And lastly, if we can help you in any way, let us know. You can find me on that website here. We're locally in town. Uh, We, I just really want you guys to be able to know how rich and full the gospel is and have the joy of having gospel-centered fellowship with people and having rich, clear gospel conversations with people because most of the time, We're not sharing the gospel one time. It's an ongoing gospel conversation. All right. Thanks, guys. Let me just pray, and then come on up. We'll talk about Trinity. Father, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that you've come to us in darkness and brought your wonderful light. We thank you so much for our Savior, Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. And Spirit, we thank you for coming and dwelling in us and helping us. Think of the words of Jesus that it's better for us that you go to heaven so that you can send your Spirit that's an advantage to us and as much jesus as i think it'd be most helpful for you to be standing next to me you say it's more helpful especially in mission for your spirit to be in me so i pray that you'd help us by your spirit um, let us find the gospel of christ good and let us find you good and let us rest in your ways and delight in seeing you work through us please for the sake of your glory and for the joy of our hearts in the world in christ's name